Thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of our show. Between the Sheets airs live at twitch.tv slash critical role at 7 p.m. Pacific on Monday nights, then is uploaded to our YouTube at youtube.com slash critical role on Wednesdays. Subscribers to our Twitch channel get early access to VODs, emotes, and more. Mary Elizabeth McGlynn is a living legend. Known for her work in anime, voiceover directing, and her incredible singing voice, Mary is one of the most respected people in her field. We talk about her upbringing, her journey out west, her battle against isolation, and how she came to be the badass we all know and love. Enjoy. Elizabeth McLean. Yes. Welcome. Thank you, Brian Foster. At last. I kept inviting you and you kept saying no, no, Brian no. Foster. That's your name, right? Brian Brian Foster? It's mm. the one I go by now. Mm-hmm. It's the one I use now until they catch up with me. Well, the porn name was different for a while. It was. It was. It was very different. <laughs> I got yeah. tired of having five names. Yes. <laughs> it was too much. My business cards were uh, eight and a half by 11. <laughs> this is a hydrus martini. <gasps> named famously after Zara. Our favorite yes. tiefling. Warlock. Warlock. Yeah. yeah. What's your uh, What's your pen you have oh, there? Oh, this is. It says, uh, uh, it says uh, "Living Life." Uh, sorry, "Living How Carrie Would Want," and this is for Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Because every picture that Carrie did for years and years and years was just was that. Yeah. Was just this. So somebody on Twitter put this up, and I I ordered it from her Etsy, and I gave it out to people because Carrie was my. Carrie was my princess, you know. I mean, I, yeah. I grew up like Disney princesses and everything. And uh, I didn't grow up as when I was really a tomboy. I liked Lego and, and falling off of fences. I thought that was a really fun thing to do as kids. Uh, so I love the whole Disney thing. But the princesses, I was just like, oh, they're just waiting for some guy to rescue them. Mm-hmm. Yay. Mm-hmm. And then, Here aren't you a little you short to be a stormtrooper? I was <laughs> yeah. like, who's that? Yeah. Who are you? You guys You're are so it. similar. You guys are you guys are so similar. Your sense of humor is very similar. I, I I miss her all the time. I do too. I met her at a con once, and she was laying on a table of glitter, signing things for people right next to Mark <laughs> Hamill, just laying there across the whole thing. It was just it was exquisite. This is delicious. It's pretty good, this right? This is very good. Yeah. yeah. So what is in it? What do we got? We got gin. Mmm. First Vermouth. time I ever got sick. Was from drinking gin? Was from drinking gin. How Not much in my life. Have? I'm sure I threw up as a baby many times. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I was the only baby that never threw up <laughs> until I had gin at the age of six months. No. Uh, <laughs> so they put me on the gin drip. They put me on the gin drip, and uh, all of a sudden, I was keyed into another me- makes getting school Makes getting through school a lot easier. It was so much easier, yeah. Geometry was hard, no straight lines, you know. <laughs> Art school. Uh, yeah, I was on an exchange program in uh, high school, and we had just uh, we went over to live with these families uh, for a couple of weeks. In uh, Montpellier was the yeah. uh, city that we ended up in, but we started in Paris, and I hyperextended my knee in an elevator about up to my nose, uh, and ended up on crutches. Uh, the entire time, uh, and then we went down and lived with these families. And this family I lived with, the Bermejos, had no—they didn't speak a lick of English. And but William, 
uh, who was going to exchange and come and live with us. His dad had broken both of his legs skiing in the Alps the oh year before. Gosh. So he had these fabulous crutches because the doctors in Paris were just like, ça va? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like squeezed my knee. And I remember grabbing the doctor and in pretty fluent French saying, if you do that to my other knee, I will probably end up kicking you in the balls. <laughs> and he was like, ça va? Hey. ça va? <laughs> yeah. But for that, no crutches, no pain medicine. So I had my- He fixed it? No, no, no. Oh, he he was going like... to do that to the, the other oh. knee that I had hyperextended. Oh. And like, do we send you home? And I said, I really would love to stay. Yeah. So I did. I had my first beer there. And my first cigarette there as well, because they said, well, they didn't give me any pain medic uh, medicine. So Eileen Duffy gave Home me brew. a uh, Marlboro Red. And I had one, one puff, too. and I was like, oh, I'm real good now. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Let's go south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Give me a pogo stick. I'll jump on it right I'm now. I'm fine, yeah. So I, was, I borrowed the crutches from uh, William's father. And the whole time I was sort of hanging back. So by the end of this, it was a three-week trip. By the end of the trip, I was like dreaming in French. I was, I was almost And you drank gin fluent. and smoked cigarettes. And we, and... Taught the, we taught them our cultural uh, contribution to France <laughs> was teaching the French students how to play quarters. <laughs> Great, really classy. So we're and like you're in we, high school. Yeah. Yes. So we're just we're bang. You know, we're teaching them how to play quarters, and um, we ran out of beer, so they switched over to gin, mm -hmm. and then they switched over to anisette. So yeah. subsequently, no gin, no black licorice. Wow. So, yeah. And but we just but put a this, small amount in this, amount just to nice. not. Yeah. Yeah, it's I very floral. So. You grew up where? New Jersey. I was in New Jersey, uh, Jersey, burning hands. Uh, I was in <laughs> New Jersey, born in Newark, and then yeah. South Orange. And then at about six, my parents moved us to Short Hills, mm -hmm. which was a beautiful, beautiful community. I was just driving around there a couple of weeks ago and just thinking, I can't believe I grew up here because wow. it's so exquisitely beautiful. My dad couldn't afford it at all, but yeah. the school system, Milburn High School, which is the adjacent uh, village. 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 <laughs> it's all, I should roll. <laughs> yeah, roll. it's all like It's a good drink. It's all fantasy. <laughs> everything my whole life is, I should roll for initiative. We had a great wizard who taught me, um, <laughs> yes. yeah, basic. The spells were hard for me in school. Right. Snape was very neat. <laughs> And Milburn High, uh, still to this day, is one of the top high schools in the nation. Really? So public school. Mm. Uh, my dad, who was an attorney uh, at the time, moved us to Short Hills, and we lived in this really old haunted house really? that like, the attic door would open all the time, and we'd be like, whoa. Now, did, was it the kind of thing where you and the siblings thought, this is for sure a ghost, and then your parents were like, no, or were they also freaked out by it? My parents were never really freaked out by it. Melissa, my twin sister, yeah. and I, and Margaret always thought that it's 100% a ghost mm -hmm. up in the attic. Mm -hmm. So to this day. Yeah. yeah. We had a few of those weird things in the house I grew up in. And my parents were always like, eh, it's nothing. And yeah. My sisters and I were like, it's something, man. There's fucking ghosts out there. There's demons, ghouls. Yeah. No, my, my dad would always scare my mom in other ways. They, I think one of their first dates, they went to see Psycho, yeah. and they had no idea what it was. It's oh, like, no. oh, let's go see this new Janet Lee movie, you know? <laughs> and about halfway through the movie, there's Janet taking a shower, uh -huh. and all of a sudden, uh -huh. my mom was like, what have you done to me? He did that to her with Jaws, too. It's just like, it's going to be a nice summer movie about, you know, yeah. about the Hamptons the or about Martha's yeah, yeah. Vineyard. 
a nice little Fourth of July movie. <laughs> My mom slept with a light on for three days. Really? So from Jaws? Yeah, really mad. I still do not go in the ocean water. I haven't been in the ocean in 20-something years. What? How is that possible? I mean, I'll dip my cankles in, but I won't go like walking out into the, no surfing, no, uh, that oh. movie, I saw it very young and yeah. it just traumatized me. Yeah. I, there's times if I'm in a pool and the light's off, oh, I yeah. get weird. I'm yeah. like, there's something, man. There's something that's been brewing in here that's going to come through the drain and kill me. I'm that way about lakes. Lakes freak me out. Yeah, but you're not freaked out by sc- you scuba no. dive all the time. I do. You I love. Steve and I just got certified about a year yeah. and a half ago, and I love it. It's like flying. In fact, the first time I ever went scuba diving was with Ashley. That's right in yeah. Mexico. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And yeah. it was. It's like flying. It's the most meditative thing because you have to completely focus on your breathing, mm-hmm. and uh, and you float. You just float and fly, and you can go up or down. It's like how I fly in my dreams. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I know. And I can yeah. actually have better control scuba diving than I do in my dreams. <laughs> yeah, I usually crash and burn. Seriously. You mentioned so you have a twin sister. I do, Melissa. Yeah. Did you guys do the? Uh, did your parents or did you guys decide like we'll? dress alike until we're a certain age or was it always independence for you two like trying to figure out how to well, be a twin? Well, I came from the age of animals, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. Uh, you had, you know, these fabulous tie-dye polyester outfits that you could interchange. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. With all of this stuff. Yeah. So um, we were often dressed alike uh, and we had long hair growing up until when we got it cut and uh, everybody started calling us little boys. And oh, since then, I've never had short hair because of really? that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, your hair is so luscious and beautiful. It's nice to show it off. Anyway. <laughs> well, the wig, you can't really see the seams in it. So I it's wasn't really going nice. to tell everybody. I wasn't, you just, we'll have to cut that out now. <laughs> it's my head merkin. Imagine the people uh, who were like, wait, Mary's had a wig wait, this whole time? Hell? I had no I, idea. I knew it was too perfect. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, uh, like, when we were in grade school, uh, we were just crazy little twits. And mm. uh, my parents were always very encouraging for music and mm. the arts. Yes. Was, so, were they artistic? Why, why were they? They were so, because, yeah. well, dad, I always feel like any attorney is a frustrated actor to some degree yes. because they have to get up and make speeches, perform, you know, and perform. Win yeah. over a jury with exactly. their, be persuasive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And dad was very good at it. But they had productions of, uh, I remember they did, uh, Char- You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Mm-hmm. And my dad was Snoopy and my mom was Peppermint Patty. And, <laughs> And we were kids, and I just were thinking to myself, oh, this is amazing. So they were always really encouraging for music and art. So when we were in grade school, uh, I chose the violin and Melissa chose the cello. Mm-hmm. So that way we'd be, I, I think for a long time, we wanted to be in the same things together, just not doing the same thing. The exact same thing. Yeah. So when we switched to like woodwinds, I went flute, Melissa went clarinet, and then I switched to bassoon and drums because you had to be in the marching band to be in the orchestra mm-hmm. and there's no mm-hmm. marching, whatever. Mm-hmm. Same thing in my <laughs> high school. Yeah. Same thing at mine, yeah. Like, why can't I march with a bassoon? The whole the music man had a whole number about, you know, bassoons marching down Dude, the street. It's not just 76 trombones. No. It's, two turtle doves, uh, two bassoons. And I a remember partridge the song. in a <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Was it I always wonder that because I I grew up with uh two guys who were twins. Yeah. And there's a bond there that you can't replicate, even yeah. amongst, you know, other siblings. It's just a different type of thing. But I watched them always fight for individuality because everybody 
lumps you together and there's always that thing and there's always yeah. those sort of typical questions and stuff like that. Did you guys fight for that or was it? I fought for close. it. I desperately needed my own identity. It mm. was always really, really important to me. And I don't know why. I, th I think that being an identical twin, sometimes people get lazy and they don't, or I, just for me, it was like, oh, people are lazy. They're calling me McGlynn. It's just like, I have a first name. Mm -hmm. Even if you get it wrong, at least put in the effort. Yeah, you know, yeah, Just yeah. try. So yeah. I was desperate to be my own individual. And the minute, that's why I sort of switched to bassoon because there were so many, you know, flautists. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to be the only one. I want to be the only person that does this one thing because I was always associated with the two. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, that bond between the two of us is something I would never, ever give up, even when we have rough, rough patches, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, where yeah. Uh, we definitely have, mm -hmm. you know, where it's it's just been hard and we butt heads and uh, there's a lot of history to get through sometimes, especially since we live so far apart from each yeah. other, uh, to actually go through the childhood history of what it was like, you know, for her even to feel like, like I've have abandoned her at mm -hmm. times, which is just like, well, I don't want you to feel that way. I just you, desperately you to do needed thing, yeah. to have my own thing, yeah. you know? So even after college, I never went back. I never went back to New Jersey. I just kept heading west. Mm. Uh, and Melissa and I would always, you know, talk to each other on the phone. And there is nothing more I love in this world than making her laugh. Mm. It just, the two of us together, laugh and laugh A and lot. laugh yeah. all the time. So. Yeah. That's how I feel about my mom is I will go visit and I won't leave until I have her in tears at some point. Yeah. You know, like I just, it's the, to bring joy to someone that, that can't really be surprised by anything because you're so close mm -hmm. and to be able to still circumvent that and make them, yeah. make them laugh and bring joy is, there's nothing like it. I agree. And then when she laughs or, you know, she laughs so hard and she's just like, you're so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and that's yes, like the ultimate compliment. It's the compliment. greatest that's compliment. That's when you know you got it's it. It's just like, oh, oh I so still stupid. got it. Like Travis taught me how to, uh, uh, speak while belching. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. You are very good. I am very good at that. I'm a gassy girl, and mm -hmm. I'm very good at belching that way. And Travis sort of taught me how to do that. And uh, I've been teaching Steve how to do that, and we're both very good at it now. Uh, and I did it for <laughs> Melissa. We're looking at these beautiful Bernini sculptures, <laughs> and I'm just like beautiful, you know. And she just <laughs> lost it. And the two of us have the ability to laugh so hard that. Everything goes away. Uh -huh. Everything goes away. We would laugh so hard in church. We sang in the choir as kids, yeah. and music was always a huge part, not only just playing instruments, but really singing. Yeah. We sang all the time, and mom and dad would be like, get out of the house, go sing in church. We're like, okay. But the problem was is that we'd be sitting next to each other, which normally would be fine, but the organist was over there, and there was a huge mirror up here, so oh, no. we'd be able to look up at each other, oh, and I'd no. just start you know, making faces <laughs> or something, and that's it. And the two of us were <laughs> lost. <laughs> yeah. And there's my mom in the front row going, you girls, I'm going to call out there. You know? There's lots so. of people watching. Yeah. So, but you don't care. You're just like all I care about is making this person laugh in yeah. that moment. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And until, you know, it's it's one of the greatest bonds of my life mm -hmm. is Melissa. Mm -hmm. She's she's an incredible human being, and you know, have you ever been sick, and then just like sent her to a con? <laughs> just to see if anybody... How do you know she's not here right <laughs> oh, now? Shit. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. Max, I told you to fingerprint her when she got here. Do what? 
You sang in choir, mm-hmm. but before that, your parents were pushing you to do artistic stuff because yeah. they understood it, which is something that you don't see a lot. I've talked no. to a lot of people who it's, it's um, they let me do it, but there was very, have a fallback career, yeah. you know, have money coming in. Otherwise, this thing is ethereal. It's not real yet. Yeah. Um, with them being encouraging, what were the, besides just musical you know, instruments, what were the things where you started to get drawn to? I'm kind of drawn to this type of storytelling. I'm kind of drawn to singing. You have an incredible singing voice. Thanks. That is not new information to anyone. But when did you know, like, ooh, I, career-wise, because we all do band, we all do stuff in school, but then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, this is a thing. I'm, I'm latching onto this and I want to write it for as long as I can. Well, what was that moment for you? Singing was uh, coming to LA, and uh, I'd never sung professionally. I'd always just, you know, sing mm-hmm. in a, an occasional band every now and then, madrigal groups, mm-hmm. all state choirs, you know, and and I just loved it. It was kind of like breathing. It so it was always mm-hmm. a part of my life, and music's always been a part of our lives, and. Uh, and the whole family gets together and dad brings sheet music and we sing yeah. four-part harmonies, you know, and it's wonderful. But it wasn't until coming to L.A. when I realized I needed to eat. And as a starving actor coming out of grad school, um, I did uh, a summer season at the Globe, and, which was amazing. Yeah. And then came up here and I needed money. And I there was a, a magazine called Drumlog in the old mm. days. I don't know if they still have it. Uh, but they said, you know, we're looking for the Smokehouse is looking for a singer. And I said, okay, the well, smokehouse over here? the smokehouse in, yeah, Bur- yeah, yeah. in Burbank, yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah. by Warner Brothers. Yeah. So uh, I went and auditioned, and it was with this wonderful man named uh, John Michael Ferrari, and we would sing to MIDI tracks. Yeah. So no live musicians, <laughs> just punch up the code, and, you know, we would be singing to— and everything from trailers boom, boom, for sale or rent to uh, Dick Tracy had come out. So Madonna was big yeah. with Hanky Panky. So I used to sing, you know, some girls they like candy uh-huh. and others. And I'm in these god awful outfits. Sequin you know, dresses. Sequin, short sequin golds. He called me my golden bar because I used to wear gold lemme dresses yeah. all the time. Because I'm from Jersey. You can take the girl out of Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the crew and cast of Night Court used to come in on Friday nights and sit really? in the back. And they would come up with like uh, sugar packets and pennies and just be like, will you sing Hanky Panky? <laughs> you know, and dump sugar it out on the table and, and back off. And I'd be like, absolutely, absolutely. So I did that because it was a night job. And then I could pursue my dream of being on Star Trek, which is what. I really wanted to do. That's why I came yeah. to California. I and was, you eventually did. I did. I did. I was a sea monkey on Star Trek Voyager. It was pretty fantastic. Every once in a while, <laughs> I will see a screen grab of that pop up in my one of my social medias. And mm-hmm. it just brings me joy because I know how much of a dream that was for you. It to was huge. Even just, yeah. It was huge. And getting uh, to meet... Um, why can't I think of her name? Captain Janeway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, oh, no. Dang it. Help. The redhead? Oh, uh-huh. Oh, no. Uh, an orange and black. It, we're going to put and it on it's the just, You're going to put it on the screen, screen right there because we'll Kate Mulgrew there. would kill me if I forgot her name. We Thank you. There. The Rolodex of there. the brain kicks <laughs> in. Thank you. I know um, it takes me 10 minutes. Yeah. Kate was. I'll amazing. remember it at three in the morning sometimes. Yeah. I'll be like, come on, son of a bitch. I know. Wake up and go, Tony Foster. Yeah, 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 yeah. And go back to bed. So, um, what did you study in college? I went to college thinking I would be a brain surgeon. I was always fascinated with a, some psychology. A real brain surgeon? Yeah, like a psychiatry teacher taught me, uh, told us that we only use uh, like 3 to 5% of our brain. 
uh, which I'm probably wrong, and I'm going to get tweets of people going, no, that's incorrect, but memory is my memory. So it's it some is. percentage that seems lower than it should be. Then incredibly low. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I heard about that and I thought, well, what happens? And then somebody said, well, if you, you know, if somebody dropped an electrode or something uh, while during brain surgery and it was an instant flashback memory, which proved that memory was held chemically in the brain. Mm. Uh, and I was fascinated by that. I was just like, and, and untapping our potential as human beings uh, because there's so much that we don't know. And we're still such babies and infants yeah, in yeah. the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Uh, even though we think everything is so important and what we're doing now is everything and it must. It's just mm -hmm. like we're a blink. We're a blip. A speck uh, of dust in yeah. that large. Yeah. 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 So uh, I went to school thinking that and then I remembered that I hate math and I suck at math. Uh, so I failed calculus my freshman year and I said, okay, maybe I can go into something else. So I started studying like physiological psychology, mm. which was really interesting. And I was looking, um, it's the, well, I don't even remember now um, at the time because It's I like was, how all of your chemistry sort of ends up yes. working together. Yeah, yeah. and how, uh, how everything that we do uh, psychologically is actually based on, the, well, what you just said. It's the chemistry mm -hmm. of why we act the way that we do Whoa. and what happens in our brains that makes us individuals and uh, the differences between us is really more of a chemical thing at times, which then, of course, combats with the whole idea of a soul and everything else, right, right, which right. is a fascinating discussion. It I is, think. yeah. Uh, and I was searching for the computer lab um, at the time to write uh, a paper on rats in utero uh, and how their uh, behavior is affected by the number and of how many rats there actually were in the womb and if that had anything to do with twins. And because I was fascinated in, yeah, in discovering yeah. what, what that was about. So I was looking for the computer lab because we didn't have computers in my day. Uh, we had a lab that you had to go to. Yeah. And I stumbled into a room and there were a whole these people outside. I said, what are y'all doing? They said, uh, oh, we're having auditions for Hamlet. I said, really? Oh, I'll try that. Because uh, my twin sister and I would always audition. My older sister, Margaret. Yeah. Amazing singer, and uh -huh. she acted in everything. She was in all the musicals, and my twin sister and I would audition, and they say, well, we can't just cast one of you. That's not really fair. Oh. So I was like, okay, so I'll play in the orchestra, and Melissa would be in the chorus. Mm. So we were still doing, again, still doing the same things, yeah. just doing different things Separate in Separate pieces, that. yeah. So still maintaining our individuality. Uh, so I never got to really be on the stage as anything more than a singer. Mm. So I auditioned and I said, no, I'll give it a shot. I love Shakespeare. Yes. And Derek Jacobi was, version of Hamlet, was the reason why I wanted to be an actor. That really? particular RSC production, which is still on tape. You can watch it. I think it Patrick is. Stewart might have played Claudius in that. Oh, um, really? I think so. Derek Jacobi. I think amazing. so. Oh, my God. He's amazing. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I'd love to. So let me audition. And I got Ophelia, which was yes. crazy. And the minute we started rehearsals, I remember calling my parents and saying, so change of plans. I really want to pursue this. And they said, great. Absolutely. So 100% on board. Because I think like all young people do, uh, we flail, you know, it's just we jump, we dive in the pool and we see, you know, which floaty what actually what sticks, what's going to work for me, what's not. And in doing that, you'll find your way. So they were just excited that you had found something that stuck. Yeah, but they were also, no, actually, I think they were really happy that it had to that do with the arts. Theater. Yeah. 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 Because uh, we've all been, you know, bitten by that bug mm -hmm. at one point or another. And that was it. And I studied, I studied a year in London. College wasn't necessarily 
easy for me because it was really the first time that I was sort of by myself mm-hmm. and everything else. And uh, how did you adjust to that? Um, Marlboro Reds and Marlboro Reds and, <laughs> and vodka. Marlboro. Yeah. yeah. No, it was uh, it was hard. It was uh, I I missed. Melissa, I mm. missed. There's something to be said about having the umbilical cord of location, where even though we're doing stuff differently, we're still in the same location. Yeah. And yeah. then to finally be apart from that, you know, and like losing your virginity and and doing these things, these sort of touchstone moments in your life that she wasn't there, mm. you know. So mm. it was it was difficult. It was I think it was difficult for both of us. We neither of us had the greatest. Uh, experience only brought on, you know, by that sense of I'm lost mm. and I don't know. I, I need to find the port in the storm that's going to be my future. Thinking mm. that once I find it, that'll be it. Not realizing that that's just the very first step in a very whole series of rungs mm-hmm. on a ladder that goes up and down and mm. everything else. Trying to figure out what it is you want to do in life. Yeah. Because, yeah. So college was was interesting in that respect. What did you do in London for that year? I studied with teachers from RADA and Lambda and Central and uh, learned that everything I was doing, I I had created a lot of bad habits Mm. uh, on the stage, thinking that I was doing this and this and this and then getting there and having them just say, no, 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 no. We're old hats at this. Listen yeah. to us. Yes, listen yeah. to us. Uh, we had a this fabulous teacher that used to drink all the time. She'd come in and crack open a gin, gin and tonic, be like, all right, let's see what you've got going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and studied what I really loved was, I think uh, Henry Marshall was his name, and he taught us stage combat, and I loved Ooh. that. That was amazing. And then we had an improv teacher named improv and movement named Ben Benison. And mm. I think that was his name. I, I hope I'm not wrong. I probably am. And he was actually, when they were doing Alien, he was the movement instructor for the guy in the suit. Oh, really? Right, until they actually decided. So you didn't get to see a lot of the work that he did, but he was sort of instrumental in creating how, how the creature moved. moved. Wow. Yeah, which was really cool. So I was over there, and I got, you know, Dyed my hair white and, <laughs> uh, you know, and I yeah. uh, went to Amsterdam and got high on the weekends when I could. Yeah. And I was doing things, once again, my own behavior that put me in in isolation, you know. I mean, it's, mean? there's one thing, just not at ego, I mm, think. Mm. I thought it was a big shit, you yeah, know. I thought yeah. it was the, I know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, you become, you go from the the small fish, the, the big fish in a little pond mm-hmm. to all of a sudden people who are much better than you. And how it affected me was I isolated. I I I, I just didn't handle it in, in a way that was productive for me to grow as a person. I was afraid. Yeah. So I isolated. Yeah. Uh, and I isolated people through my behavior and and just decided that I knew what was best, you know, mm. and I'm I'm a know-it-all anyway, and which is a pain in the ass trait to have, but especially as a young person, when it's obvious that you don't, right, and you're not willing to let that go, you become this stubborn asshole that you know it's just like I'm going to hold on to my toys, you know, and it's just. When did you realize way. that you were doing that and that you needed to make an adjustment? When 
I think when I came back to college, because I took my junior year abroad and I came back and I realized that that's, it's not a good mm. thing. Can't it's, maintain relationships that way. You can't maintain relationships, yeah. I don't know what it was that I was intimidated by women. I was always, I had a lot of guy friends. I was a tomboy. I had a lot of guy friends. But after high school, I became sort of very intimidated. I don't know if that was competition or insecurity or whatever it was. So I knew that I needed to rectify that. Mm. And I knew I needed to be a better friend. When I came out to L.A., I uh, met my very best friend, and I would flake on her and just be like, you know what, I, I'm not, I don't feel like going, or I don't know. And she finally just said, I can't be friends with you if you keep flaking. You need to be a better friend. Mm. And there's really something to be said for that. I went through all this self-help crap and everything else. Yeah. It's not crap. It's it's very worthwhile. But you were trying to find— I was trying yeah. to figure out what it was to be a good friend, mm. you know, and to combat the loneliness because my fallback is to go into isolation, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. to just stay home and, and not get out. I'm 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 definitely an extroverted introvert, you know, and and I used to cut and run. It was just easy. I'll just keep moving west. I'll just yeah. cut and run, cut and run, cut and run. I'll do stupid things, cut and run, do stupid things, cut and run. Because you sh- can sort of start start over. Yeah. You think you're starting over. You think you're leaving that stuff behind. But you're not. It just finds its way to yeah, you. Yeah, it's always yeah. with you. It's mm-hmm. the only luggage you can't let go of, you know, mm-hmm. until yeah. you actually focus on it. Yeah. You know, and about just being a good friend. Mm. And especially... With women, it's, you know, to let go of the competition that we yeah. are sort of uh, ingrained, that's ingrained in us to feel mm-hmm. and to just be a good friend is something that that I still struggle with, but I'm trying to You're be such a good better friend. at it. Well, you and I have been friends for, for so 10 long. 10 years about? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. crazy. I know. I you were the first you... person that Steve and I called when we got engaged. Yes, you were. We were in Hawaii, and I called you. Yes, you were. I yep. met you at a at the Hard Rock Casino in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. <laughs> yep. We were both smoking and drinking, and yep. uh, I knew the minute I talked to you, I was like, I'm going to be friends with this person. Yeah. You just have a—a a lot of people who meet you feel that way, but you just have a—you have a no-bullshit thing about you that comes across from the beginning. There's nothing fake. There's nothing— there's nothing schmoozy. There's mm-hmm. nothing networky. It's just like, here's well, me. I know. Take it or leave it, Cause, baby. Because I suck at that. I can't <laughs> yeah. schmooze to save my I life. Know. I suck at all of that. I, I'm terrible <laughs> self-promotion. Yeah. I suck at it. So I just figure, well, I'll just be me. And it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's take it or leave it. And as I get older, it's even more, you know, mm-hmm. you've got the fewer Fs to give, as yep. they say. It's yep. just like, oh, I'm all out. Yeah. Sorry, I have no more. <laughs> I have no fucks. I'm I have so no so fucks sorry. to give. I just refilled I, this last I mean, week. Just, what happened? It, it's somewhere in here. Nope. It's in my it's other pants. in my other pants. And I don't wear pants. <laughs> no. And it's gone. And it's gone. And, yeah, so it's uh, it's been... <sighs> It's hard being a—it's, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's so easy to be a good friend. But if you're sort of an—I don't know what it was about me and being an individual and everything else, I just never—I never learned how to do that because I just thought I could just leave and then it'll be Mm -hmm. fine. You know, Mm -hmm. it's easier for me to leave uh, than to actually have to deal with the problems, deal with the responsibility. Mm Because being a friend is a responsibility. It's a big responsibility. It is. And when you're also trying to manage— figuring out and fleshing out a career that's at the beginning of its thing and is yeah. this thing even going to work yeah. and 
are these the people that I want in my life? What, how much bandwidth do I have to give to them? I mean, mm-hmm. that's a, that's going to be a consistent. That's a that's relationship. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you went to grad school where then? At Southern Methodist University, Meadows School of the Arts, um, with an unbelievable group of young actors. Uh, there were four women. I was one of, and eight guys. So there were twelve of us in the class. Wow! And we all stayed the entire time, which was unusual. Usually, some people will drop out, drop or, out, and head out, and yeah, uh, change careers. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we had a reunion a couple of years ago, which was, uh, or maybe it was last summer, not this past summer, the year before. It was yeah. about a year and a half ago, and it's just amazing to see. There's uh, a lot of people that uh, some are still acting, some are teaching, some are heading uh, theater departments, wow. some are now sort of life coach. Uh, and it's it's amazing to think that, in a way, everybody is still in that same creative space. And you could see the beginnings of all of it sort of back mm-hmm. in in grad school, which was You could see cool. hints of what people would end up becoming. Yeah. I'm sure they saw the same thing in you. Yeah, an asshole. <laughs> We always knew she was going to be a great asshole. <laughs> yep, mm, mm. Mary. I remember Mary. I remember. She I haven't was heard that name. And- <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite production you've done on stage or performance? I should say, like character that you got to do it, and you just that you always think about that as the one. Because like we have a friend who is. Brock, who is obsessed with theater. You guys yes. will keep talking about theater forever. I'm like, yes. shut the fuck up. I've only yeah. seen five plays and the same five plays over and over again. Mm-hmm. But you have a love of theater apart from what you mm-hmm. actually performed in yourself. Yeah. But what was the what was the performance or, you know, if there's more than one that you just think about and go, that was fucking awesome. I was alive in that moment. Oh, man. There were a lot. There was, SMU gave you great opportunities to, like sometimes we would go and do Shakespeare in Taos in the summer. Oh wow! Uh, and we would do what were we doing? Uh, Much Ado About Nothing, and they cast me as Dogberry, which mm. is a man's role. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, I thought, well, how the hell am I going to do that? You know? Yeah. Uh, and it was fascinating to actually be in one of the most potent places enter in terms of energy. Like mm-hmm. Taos, New Mexico, is just. Like, I don't know, Steve would know what it's called when you're sort of on, it's it's sort of centered in this energy field that yeah. I'm usually not, I'm, I'm not sensitive to at all. But, mm-hmm. you know, you get there and you just walk around and all the hair standing up on the back of you. Something's, something's really yeah. cool. Yeah. We did, Three Penny Opera was pretty fantastic in grad school. Um, Wait, what's that? Three Penny Opera is, you know, Mac the Knife, oh, the shark Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's a Bertolt Brecht, and I'm probably going to get all these wrong. Hey. Uh, but it's this it's this very dark musical, and I've loved dark musicals mm. since I saw Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. At 13, yes, right? Yes, so yes, my yes, dream yes. role is to play Mrs. Lovett one day. Uh, my twin sister, Melissa, just got to play the beggar woman. Oh, really? And I back went back. Yeah, yeah, I went back on Mother's Day to surprise her, uh, which was really amazing. And I got to see her as the beggar woman in Whoa. Sweeney Todd, which was huge. Whoa. Huge. Um, you have every word of Sweeney Todd memorized. Every word. You do? Every word. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm doing a... <laughs> There's a character named Adolfo Pirelli, the king uh-huh. of a barbers, uh-huh. barber of kings, buongiorno, good day. And uh, I have to play this, uh, her, her name, oh, I can't say it because the show hasn't aired yet, but her name is Betty, yeah. and I'm basically just doing <laughs> Adolfo Pirelli, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> so I pull from that yes. a lot. Yes. yes. 
So uh, we did Three Penny Opera, and it was such a challenge because I'd never been the lead in a musical, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, that was that was pretty fantastic to be on. And this, there's a number, and and uh, and the lyrics are, "You gentlemen, you gentlemen can watch as I'm as I'm brushing the floor, and I'm brushing or sweeping the floor while you're watching, and it's all about this stuff about you know I'm I'm a woman and I'm nothing to you. Mm. I am just nothing but this thing for you to look at and mm. fantasize about and everything else. And she sings this, and she's like, I am more than that. I am yeah. so much more. And it's like what? Mm. And I remember that moment was just like all the blood went out of my hands. And I thought at one point, if I lift them up, I'm going to start acting like this because I have no feeling <laughs> in my hands yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and that was a really intense, intense moment. What do, Wait, you, what do you think was it about dark musicals that you really attracted you and magnetized you to them? I don't know. Maybe because I'd seen all the light, happy ones for so mm. long. And there was something about... Uh, and it could just be sort of what was in my brain. I was melancholy, and I was, uh, I like Seven is my favorite movie. Seven and Jaws are my favorite movies, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. So at the time, and I was going through puberty, and I didn't know what the hell was happening and what was going on. And the minute I saw Sweeney Tide, Sweeney Tide, <laughs> Sweeney Todd, <laughs> that's the Jaws version. <laughs> Jaws the musical. the musical. Sweeney, Sweeney Tide. Let's Tend the it. tale of Sweeney Tide. Let's, let's write it. We could get Andrew Lloyd Webber on the phone pretty soon. Yes. Instead of Sondheim. We'll get Andrew yeah. Lloyd Webber to write this. No, no, no. This we'll one. have him do it. Yeah. He's more accessible. Uh, and I don't know why. I saw it, and I couldn't even applaud at the end of it. We were, I mean, we mm. went to see it on our birthday. It turned out to be Angela Lansbury's birthday as well. We, have, we share the same birthday. Oh, wow. So my dad uh, wrote her... Uh, husband and got us to go back up and meet her afterwards, which was kind of amazing because years later I did an episode of Murder, She Wrote, one yeah. of the last ones. And uh, and I said, you probably won't remember this, but, you know, years and years and years ago, I was wow. up in your dressing room, and uh, which was pretty amazing. I don't know what it was. There's something still to this day about Sweeney Todd that it's the dissonance, it's the, the yearning, mm. and the telling of a story through Music. It was. It was. I didn't understand opera until I saw Sweeney Todd, and then the world of opera opened up to me. Wow. Like, oh, I get it now, because there's a storytelling that goes on with, uh, like, just in one part. It's Todd is sitting at his desk writing a letter to the judge, and it's most honorable Judge Turpin, mm. and he just sits back and thinks, honorable, honorable, mm. and that dissonance between yeah. the soprano and the alto on that second. It's just, oh, yeah, got oh, you. Got and it you. just completely went into my core mm. of this is how you express things. And there's something because everybody wants to see it's it's kind of like social media. It's it's all the selfies. Everybody shows you their best days. Yes. Right. And yes. Sweeney Todd showed you the absolute worst, mm. the worst days, the darkest days, the most emotional, awful Beautiful still at times, but then just the sense of, of distraught. Mm. And I tapped into that for some reason. I just thought that it, it spoke to me. You can identify with both sides of everything, but yeah. you needed to be exposed to that other side to go, whoa, I connect with this too. Yeah. 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 I connected really deeply, uh, instantly mm. to 
to the darkness, you know. And it's funny because at the same time, it was also Star Wars had come out, you mm-hmm. know, and there was uh, John Williams. And John Williams was also tapping into the darkness, mm-hmm. you know, the darker mm-hmm. themes. And mm-hmm. I realized that, oh, my God, music isn't just about singing a happy song or whatever it is. This is such an incredible way. The range of human emotions. Yeah, to, yeah. Tell, to tell a story. And, and as a storyteller, you're looking for that sort of toolbox to be expanded constantly mm-hmm. and go, yeah. whoa, this, because every time something touches a different part of you, you go, whoa, I didn't, you know, I knew this part of life existed, but I didn't have a connection to it until yeah. this moment. And now I can channel that to my own stories. Yeah. Right? And I realized I'm not alone. And those moments, mm. when you get those moments in life where it's just like, I'm feeling alone, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling anxious, and isolation. Yeah. And it's the first thing you do is you fall back into this position of, and mm. the world sort of goes away into a fog. And the mm. minute you hear something, whether it's music or whether it's a poem or a play or a book uh, or a TV show, whatever, and you realize it hits on something within you and you're like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Mm. Uh, someone out there can help. Someone, Mm. at least I know that I'm not the first person to be doing it. And it sort of diffuses the whole thing of, no one has ever felt this way before. Yeah, it gives a voice to that feeling that you've had. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I just realized that I, (laughs) what's the poem? uh, You get to the the two roads and I took the road less traveled. The road less less traveled. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mine was just, I took the dark road. Yeah. yeah, I just instantly went to the dark side because mm. I liked. You also didn't have this traumatic childhood no. where there was all this stuff. And so life was okay for you. Like yeah. you, you were saying, you weren't rich and it wasn't like everything was handed to you. Mm-hmm. And you know all these doors just flung open for you, but you didn't have a lot of this stuff. So when you do experience that, you, you see that side of things, you go, well, that's in me too because I'm human. Yeah. But I don't have life experience to a certain degree to attach to that, but it was just opening that up for you that yeah. seemed like it unlocked it, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's all in there, mm. you know? And I started to experience it more and more on stage and through, you know, and I, self-inflicted mistakes as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> First year of college wasn't easy. We all have a lot oh, of those in our- Yes, uh... we do, you know? But sometimes I think there's also a self-inflicted it's completely self-inflicted because I came from a family of love. I came from a very strong background mm-hmm. of love. And not that it wasn't, you know, rife with with stress and conflict. And I mean, my is. dad ran for governor of New Jersey, which was just like, <laughs> Ugh, never go into politics. It's just an awful, awful thing. And um, that was a very stressful time. But in terms of, you know, I, I really did come from a background of love. And my parents still, to this day, my dad emailed us yesterday and said, Happy Valentine's Day. I love you unendingly forever through mm-hmm. everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And we vacation together. And um, and all my friends from high school who I'm still really close with, um, they love them. And we are, when we get together, my parents come, you know, when we can, when they can. So One of my favorite things every year used to be, downloading Downton Abbey from yes. the UK before it would come out of the US yep. so you guys you and your family could watch it over yeah, Christmas because I would Christmas. give it to my parents too yeah they're like we go Christmas caroling every year you know yes I mean, I've been still. Christmas caroling with you guys yeah. I have made the mistake of standing next to your older sister while she oh. belted the most amazing notes I've ever heard and I'm sitting over there going You end up in L.A. doing 
various on-camera stuff. Yes. Were you still doing any theater productions at that time? No. After I I did a season at the Globe, I mm-hmm. came up here and I got a job at Universal in That's one of right. the yep. uh, Beetlejuice shows there, uh, singing and not dancing, but trying to get me to move in rhythm with everyone else. And this is at Universal Studios. Yeah, so it was the an Beetlejuice, outdoor Beetlejuice like production thing they would do there. Mm-hmm. And the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five yeah. shows a day. What That's was where that I like. It was awesome. Yeah. It was so much fun. And especially during, you know, the summer when there are 10 shows and you could yeah. do a double, you could do 10 shows a day. And it was such an amazing group of people that did it that I'm still close friends with a, a lot of them. In fact, um, my ex-husband uh, yeah. and I met during, during he was Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah. And I remember seeing him going uh, in full uh-huh. costume and everyone going, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't really care what you look like underneath. Uh, You're an amazing talent. This is my, this is this is this is my type. This is my future. You know? Hey, everybody, how you doing? I was like, yeah, I want him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was wonderful because they were uh, they were very good about letting us go off. They encouraged us to audition mm. for stuff. Mm. So they had like five deep per character. Backups. Uh, yeah, backups mm. so that you could call and say, I got a big audition. So you give up your time to go and do this. And they were very, like we had, uh, I think Walter Jones was uh, one of the Power Rangers. And Whoa. he was uh, he was one of our wolfmen. Yeah. Uh, and we had people go off all the time. And uh, It's rare that a job is that supportive. But if you're in L.A., and you employ people, Yeah, you've got to know that at least some of those people are going to be trying to break into this industry and wanting yeah. to do different jobs. Yeah. yeah. And then I was singing at the smokehouse at night. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, I was a Jägermeister girl. You know, I was trying to do everything. Wait, what? Yeah. What does that entail? What does a Jägermeister girl <laughs> entail? Humiliating yourself. <laughs> Uh, on a nightly basis. That means you go to bars uh-huh. dressed in the the yeah, 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 yeah and uh, yeah. you walk around with the Jägermeister and you hand out shots uh-huh. to people and watch them get more and more inebriated. Were you ever and, like one for me, one for them, one for me? One no, because it was I didn't like the black way, licorice. Black it kind of tastes like it black tastes licorice, licorice, and you hate so that. I didn't. Yeah, so that's a a good job to get groped at. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. I can't even Oof. imagine. I mean, I spent several years in Las Vegas and seeing the way even just the cocktail waitresses are treated, it'll make your skin burn. Yeah. So I had a very short-lived career as a Jägermeister girl. I think it was Barney's Beanery was one of the last ones I went to. And this guy pulled up and he happened to be, he was masturbating in his car. Uh, I walked up the thing, he pulled up and he was just sitting in his car masturbating. And I was like, this is my last night of this job. At the beanery? Going. At the beanery. Of all the, go to Pier 1 Imports I know, for crying for out loud. Something that has a little bit more aesthetic to it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So not that that had anything to do with being a Jägermeister girl, no, but it but was just but it's the, the principle whole... of that world and just going, I am destined for something better than this. Yeah, like, or something like find my bliss and mm-hmm. this ain't my bliss. Mm-hmm. Even though I need to find, you know, everybody, we all have to do crazy jobs to, yeah. to try and get our uh, food on the table, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, and then I started doing, I started doing voiceover after I got hurt on the set in New Zealand. Zena, right? Zena. Yeah, yeah. So what happened? You're you you are, you're in New Zealand. You're yeah. shooting Zena uh, Warrior Princess, uh-huh. which is amazing. I fucking loved that show. Me too. And it came on at 
I don't know what ran, it ran during the day or whatever, so I never saw it because I was at school, but it would come on at two in the morning and I would mm -hmm. watch that and Hercules and all that stuff. And I, I loved that show. Yeah. But what, so what happened? You hurt your knee on the, the set, The horse right? I was being hanged on. The, whole village, <laughs> the villagers were revolting and apparently <laughs> hanging me uh -huh. uh, on the horse and the horse reared up and fell on top of me and dislocated my kneecap. And uh, You had to have surgery, right? No, uh, oh. I didn't. I just came back and I was still in the Beetlejuice show at the time. Mm -hmm. So I just couldn't do it because my knee was messed up. So uh, Peter Spellos recommended me over to do voices in this company that was doing anime. So I started doing that. And Did you I watch any it. anime before that or I'd know anything about it? I'd seen a couple Mizayaki yeah, yeah, yeah. films, yeah. Uh, but I think that's it. Mm. Um, I did, as a kid, love... Uh, a friend of ours was obsessed with old kung fu movies that were terribly dubbed. Mm -hmm. You know, just, <laughs> you have destroyed my village. That whole thing. And we were just like, ah, oh, num, yes, num, 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 so num. Oh, yeah. bring it on. So I realized, I was like, oh my God, I'm basically doing these movies, you know, mm -hmm. but we're, we're trying to get the sync a little bit better. Yeah. You know? And I started doing more and more for them. And as I was doing that, my on-camera career, which was never really much of anything, I was always sort of the rescued damsel mm. on all these shows. Uh, it gets old. It does. It gets old and it also infects, it starts to seep into your psyche and it was feeding into, for me, bad habits and isolation and everything else. Why? Um, because you felt like you were being sort of cornered into something that you weren't. You, you're yeah. more, you're like, I'm a more capable actor than just sort of repeating this kind of role over and over again. Yeah. And then also being that damsel in distress and being a victim it starts to seep into your psyche mm. because you need to tap into that. And mm. if you're tapping into that all the time and aren't good at divorcing yourself from that at the end of the day, you know, it's just like just taking off the costume and leaving it at mm. work. If it stays in your psyche, it starts to affect you, you know? And Yeah, I always wonder with actors, I remember reading an article about Ray Fiennes when he did Schindler's List yeah. and how he could not get out of that headspace after, well, I can't imagine, I can't. Of that headspace? No, I can't. Specifically? I, can't. I mean... I can't. Is that a real... That's a real thing that you yeah. guys like have to really deal with because you have to go... To, to create an authentic performance, you have to take your mind places... Like, for instance, mm -hmm. you are not a victim-type no. person. So you have to find places in your life or in your heart where you feel like less than yeah. or hurt or damaged in some way and yeah. then kind of channel that. But then you have to remove yourself. You've got to remove yourself. Otherwise... You're doomed as a human. I mean, you've you've got to do it. If you actually start to believe what it is that you're playing, you need to be, you know, in that moment, playing as as specifically as you possibly can, that emotion, that feeling, that intention. But if you at the end of the day can't divorce yourself from it and walk away from it, you will do yourself serious psychological yeah. damage. Yeah. Vivian Lee is a great example of that. Mm. She eventually went mad. And uh I think one of the last things that she did was um Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah. And Blanche Dubois was very, uh, a bit off the rails, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, at the end of it. Very much uh, a victim. And, and I think by the end of that, she couldn't divorce herself from it. Now, that's not to say that she wasn't that way beforehand. But no, I as an actor, you know, you you're you have to have all of these emotions at the ready, but you also have to ha be disciplined enough to be able to take the good, you know, learn what you can from being in that space. Because an act, as an actor, you have a lot of uh, opportunity to obviously do things that you'll never do in your own mm -hmm. life. Rafe, I'm assuming Ray Fiennes is not the yeah, character that he played in Schindler's List. Right, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, like the first really strong female I played was uh, the major in Ghost in the Shell. Mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. helped me figure out. I'm like, oh, oh, I can 
play that. I can be that and inhabit that and uh, be a strong female that isn't dependent upon a partnership yes. with a man, right, for instance. Right. So there's some very good things that you can learn by being an actor uh, in terms of pulling from things because you find things within yourself. You have to yeah, find things within yeah. yourself if you're not familiar with them to be able mm -hmm. to portray a character. And playing the major was great. I'm like, oh, oh I could finally be a strong. Mm. And that was sort of a turning point for me in my personal life. That was a very good thing because then I started to become, I started to find that independence that I had always wanted uh, when I was a kid. And I realized that it wasn't independence from being apart from Melissa. Mm. It was figuring out who I was, you mm. know, and finding that, that independent voice within me that didn't have to rail against something, didn't have to be isolationist for something, that can actually be an independent in a sea as opposed to independent in a void. Because you had always thought it's this or that. Yeah. Yeah, it's independent and a void. It's got to mm. be, and you have to fight and da 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 da, mm -hmm, da and push mm -hmm. people away and everything else. And I realized that I can be strong and independent and still in a group. Still exist in a community yeah, of people. Yeah, and have friends that yeah. are also strong and independent and have a partner mm. now who mm -hmm. loves that, mm -hmm. loves me for mm -hmm. being strong. For and being strong and independent. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Versus... I accept that about her, mm -hmm. but you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's different when somebody pushes that side of you and says, like, adds fire, adds fuel yeah. to that fire. Yeah, I yeah. know you feel that way. You yeah. Know. Oh, come on, of course. Come here, come here, break. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I there, I need a, I need Jacob's ladder to get as high up as I married. <laughs> I'm marrying up. <laughs> I think it's so cool that that Ghost in the Shell character helped you discover that about, you know, yourself and to yeah. help you move into that space. Because it is there a greater joy, maybe outside of, you know, reaching, reaching someone who sees that show or that product or that play or that song, but to be able to have that process change you yeah. and teach you something about yourself, which I'm sure probably made you want to launch even further mm -hmm. into continuing to do that and played and explore different types of yeah. characters. Yeah, it gave me a level of confidence that I didn't have. And I think as actors, everyone's like, oh, you're so confident, you're an actor. And I usually it's the it's absolute the opposite. opposite. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. a, such a, a sense of insecurity uh, and wanting to be loved and, and wanting to sort of prove yourself. And that comes from this desire to mm. be seen yeah. all the time. And it is a desire to be seen. And, and heard. I, and heard more mm -hmm. than anything mm -hmm. is, is definitely to be heard. And that was always something that I, I struggled with, was I need to find my voice, I need to find my voice. And playing a character like her helped me find it and helped me find it within myself and started to, and the minute that happens, like it, all of a sudden doors started mm -hmm. opening. Uh, and after that, I started working on si the Silent Hill songs and working with Akira and I was terrified. You were? You know, I was terrified because normally I was of? just like singing is something I'm really That's good, what I was right? Say. Yeah, you but, normally had confidence in that. But what terif what terrified you about? Well, we did a song called the first four tracks that we did. There's a song called The Letter mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's really high and it's really breathy and I was smoking like a chimney then. So <laughs> I was like I had no upper register uh -huh. at all anymore. And it's just like a letter to my future. I was like Akira, you can't want this. This is terrible. That's 
at everything five else. Ha- whole drop steps. it, drop it, drop it. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, no, this is Silent Hill. Mm. It's in opposition to everything. So I don't mm. want that beautiful lyrical voice that could just drop down onto these notes beautifully. It should be a he struggle. You wanted to feel the strain Because the, the song is about writing yourself a letter. Mm. Uh, telling your who you will be, that everything's going to be fine, mm. and that we're put here for joy. We're mm. put here to find love, to feel joy. And and that was sort of a moment of, oh, my God, I, huh, huh, you know, and going out of, I mean, it's just the easiest thing in the world. Just go out of your comfort zone, and, and you'll find the most joy in life than you ever yeah. would have imagined because yeah. you don't anticipate it, you know. If you fear all the time of, of staying of what will happen and what if I fail? You know, Steve and I talk a lot about that. It's like, get out and fall on your ass, fall on your face, fail, 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 because you will learn so much, so, mm. so, so much. So singing, you know, opening that up and and again, getting out of my comfort zone and singing those songs and everything else. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I can do that too. I don't have to just continue to do the stuff that makes, that's easy for me and that's comfortable. Yeah. And then I got the call to uh, direct uh, Bebop, which was- like, Was that oh, your yeah. first gig directing? Or had you it's, done other little stuff before that? I did, I don't know if it was a Gundam game or a combat game or it was some f- pilot game where I had to make Michael Lindsay say Roger in under a third of a second, like 3,000 times. And it had to be, Roger! You know I mean, it's just like, boom. And it was like, oh, I don't know how long it was. It was a small game. Uh, and that was the first time Yutaka gave me, Maseba gave me the opportunity to do that. But I'd never done any animation at all. And uh, and they called and said, we've got too many shows and not enough directors. And do you you want to give it a shot? And, of course, uh, sure. the monkey went, uh-huh. you're going to fail. Yeah. And so I was like, yes, I would love to do this 100%. And I remember talking to Darren about that, and and he was like, "You got to do this. Yeah, you've got to do this. Yeah. You know, mostly I think he was just like, get out of the house He's to do this, do something. please, because yeah, 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 you being yeah. home all the time is driving me uh, crazy. Um, I'm tired of you giving me Jägermeister. I have plenty. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and that was it, and getting out of that comfort zone. Mm. So I figured out that figuring out what made me strong gave me obviously permission to break out of my comfort zone and more opportunities of breaking out of my comfort zone came up. And I don't know if they were always there. I just didn't recognize them because it's like, well, that's safe. I mean, that's, I'm staying safe. I'm going to stay in the safe place. Yeah. You know. But the safe place is never where the rewards are. No. Or the character building or friendships oftentimes. Because if you stay in the safe place, you stay with the same people all the time and you don't end up meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And challenging yourself. And mm. that's the thing. It's just like, and the minute I started voice directing, I got shot out of a cannon instantly. It was just, I have never What do you really mean you got shot out of a cannon? I was banging my head as an on-camera actor. I was just banging. Oh, yeah. I was just like, oh. And finally, one of the agents was just like, you should probably get a boob job. And I was like, okay, I need to stop doing this at some point. And I remember <laughs> asking for help, just literally saying, I don't know what's up there, who's up there, if anything, universe, whatever. Mm-hmm. I need help because I know I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. Mm. Uh, I'm supposed to be here because I am here. It's it's always right. the same thing. I'm yeah. here because I'm supposed to be here, but I'm not supposed to be doing this. Mm. This is killing me inside. There's I'm I'm miserable, and I, but I know I'm supposed to be here. So give me a sign, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> bing, you want to direct? Yeah, 
I'll direct uh, this series. And that was it. And I started to understand everything that they taught me in graduate school yeah. about building a character and about telling a story and building a story and seeing it through from beginning to end, having the big picture on something. You know, I went from uh, the very small view of just having a character to all of a sudden going to a much wider lens. Mm. And you have to as a director to yes. be able to see the story so you can carve it out and meet it out as it goes along to make sure that you don't end up with the result at the end and the end of act one, you've got to wait till act three, mm -hmm. you know, so to sort of pace an actor through and pace a character and developing a character so that the story works in the way that the writer, developer, creator intends it to. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I get it. I get mm -hmm. it now. Woo! It clicked, right? It clicked. Yeah. So I did anime for a long, long, long time. And uh, and that was really fun. It was a, It's a very intimate process, which for someone who likes to isolate is a good thing. It's you and an engineer and an, and actor, an actor and sometimes a producer. And you get to create mm -hmm. this amazing thing. And, and acting one-on-one -on -one, uh, in that is a very, for me, a cathartic <laughs> experience. You get to know someone uh, without all the bullshit of having to schmooze, having to do anything else. You can really work on a, a character with another actor and work through the psychology of that character, uh, which can also help you enlighten things in your own yeah. life as well. Yeah. So, And I did that for a long time, and then I, I started directing Naruto, and that was sure. like 565 episodes. That's what we were talking about. That's insane. Naruto, yeah. That is insane. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've come over to your house and seen stacks of scripts mm -hmm. and you going through them for the next day or for the week or whatever else. But what is that process like when you get something, you know you have, let's say you only know you have a season, right? Yeah. And you are there behind a, a wall of glass, mm -hmm. you know, the actors in the booth, and you most of the time talk to them through a microphone. Yeah. And so you, you're, it's not like a movie set where you can just walk up, you're blocking it out, you're showing them the camera's going to be here. You know, they're looking at a script and or a screen if you're dubbing or whatever mm -hmm. else. So how do you connect with the actor to get what you know you need from them out of the performance? Especially there's a lot of times where you direct people who haven't done a ton of voiceover before yeah. too. Yeah, that's always interesting to get uh, either a non-camera actor who's come in and has never done and is used to a very tight, close-up. Mm -hmm. um, and in that moment, you know, I can see them raising an eyebrow and everything else. And I'm like, oh, that's so good. But I'm not hearing it in the voice. Oh, yeah. You know, so you yeah. got to put all of that stuff, all the subtle nuances that you get in your close-up, you got to put it in the voice and then you got to raise it up. Like, raise up what the magnitude of it. Oh, um, the magnitude. Yeah, okay. like, animate it by about, yeah. Diedrich Bader, I think, said it's like, everything you do on camera, up it by 10%. And that's voiceover. where you start for animation. Wow. Yeah. Now, that's not always the case. I love, uh, was it? I love dogs. I love dogs, yeah. Yes. Uh, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, Very yeah. much uh -huh. downplayed, low-key, and everything else. But the rhythm and everything, it's still animated. And it's still not completely naturalistic. Mm. So I talk about it a lot. Every actor's got a key. And mm. it's my job to find it as quickly as possible. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Every actor responds to something different. Every actor uh, will open up to something and will shut down to something different from other ones. How do you so, find that? Do you test them and see? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, that's how right. How do you find that key, though? Um, I don't, I'll throw out little things and whatever they start talking about, you know, at the end, you just sort of instinctually realize, oh, they like Shakespeare, you know, so mm -hmm. it's working with um, 
an actor and you know and I said no this is definitely a blow winds and crack your cheeks moment and he's like Oh. I understood that reference. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. the minute that happens, then all of a sudden, mm. and they open up. They're like, I trust you because you understand. Uh, for some reason. You speak the language. I speak the language. So for me, it's it's about communication. And I think every great director that I've ever worked with is good at communicating in the moment what it is that they need as precisely, as concisely uh, as possible. Because you only have someone for an hour in the booth and you need mm-hmm. to get a certain amount of lines done. But you need to key them into a world, of, especially if they're in like in a padded room. Like we're on a set right now. We've got right. a pretty good idea of the context of this moment. Mm-hmm. But if we were in a padded room, uh, in a void, like, or on a green screen or something else, you know, it's just, it's my job to paint the picture. Especially if you have no reference materials, yeah. too, to be able to show them, you know, like, with, yeah. with, when, with dubbing, your, your lip flaps, you're yeah. matching the lip flaps, you're trying to get that while still getting a performance out of somebody. Yeah. But if there's nothing, it's just the imagination. It's just you and them mm-hmm. in that moment trying to make that thing happen. Yeah, and saying, we've got to get out of here is very different depending on... If the building's on fire, mm-hmm. if uh, there's a sale at you know across yeah, the street, yeah, you know it's yeah. just like if you're, there are a million different ways to say that line, and it needs to be said in a very specific context mm-hmm. with a very specific world built around them, and uh, and I gotta get it to that the producers and the creators are happy and everything else. So I'm sort of the go between, you know, from one side of the glass. To the other, but yeah. that's like one of my favorite things is is figuring out, and I you never fully figure out how an actor works, but to get that those moments of, ah, oh, I know not to get in your way, I know mm. not to give you too much context, I know to give you a lot, I know actors mm. like, where am I? What's my motivation? Great, here we go, dive in, yeah, and so shift it up into that mode of yeah. directing. Uh, if someone, I had an actor come in and said, don't tell me the content, I don't want to know, don't, I don't want any context, I don't want to know, okay. And he played a, a, a being that lived in a giant fire-breathing chicken, and he had a bowler hat with a mouth and an eyeball. You know, I mean, so it's just like his body was an eyeball. And I said, "You're right. This is going to work perfectly if you have no idea that that's it. Almost what you look. Yeah, like. it almost might have fucked him up. Yeah, if he, if he had yeah. a picture of that character. Like, How do I make this sound? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And with all the different." you know, the Meisner technique and all these other different things that I studied over the years, which I never really understood, I now can use all of those things mm. that I learned because each actor's different. God, being in a booth can be so terrifying if you're an actor because there's silence. A lot of the time there's silence. So you're on the side of the glass, you know, and it's just like, we've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of here. Great. And then you're stuck there while they talk about something. And, and you're you just can't sort of, hear it. You can't hear you a damn thing. People. And you just see like, yeah, and every yeah. now and then they'll look at you, and God forbid they look at you like you just. Uh-huh. I can't imagine. And then the monkeys start talking. You know, it's just like they're gonna recast you. You're mm-hmm. terrible. Blah 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 blah. So as uh, seizes you up. Yeah, it yeah. does. So the minute you start to feel insecure uh, behind a microphone, the minute the creativity is completely stopped uh, for me at any rate, and I can see it happening in actors. An actor gets frustrated. <laughs> It shuts down. They stop once they lose the joy of the moment of doing this, uh, because I do believe that every moment you're behind a microphone should be a moment of joy. I don't care if you're ripping your throat out. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're crying your eyes out. There should be some form of creative uh, gratification in yeah, that yeah, moment, yeah. and it should be a joyful thing. Even if you have to say, "I can't do any more mm-hmm. takes. I really can't," because 
I am in pain. Blown out, you know? yeah. But in those moments when I found that, you know, or helped an actor find that character that got them into a place that they weren't comfortable, that they felt really comfortable in, mm -hmm. out of their comfort zone, all of a sudden, that's a miraculous day. And I know that that moment will be like, <gasps> I did something I didn't expect I could do. I didn't think I could do. And wow. I loved it. And that will bring me back. And that will bring my creativity to a new level because I have a confidence level that I never had and I never thought I could do that, you know. Yeah. I had no idea that I could actually be this giant. Liam directed me in one of the Resident Evil games where I was this giant zombie queen with like multiple breasts and everything and just <laughs> like, shit, I'm never done. Stuff that yeah. Steve wakes up and he's just like, oh yeah, I can do that. You know, <laughs> yeah, like him yeah, and Fred yeah. Tatish are just like, oh, you mean this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was like, yeah. oh yeah, uh -huh. I didn't know I could do that. Uh -huh. You know, but I walked out and I'd blown my voice for a month and it was a conscious choice on my part to say, I'm going to blow out my voice. It's irresponsible, but I'm just, I'm not just, I'm just directing. So I don't have to, I'm not singing. I've mm -hmm. got no tours coming up. I'm fine. I want to see how far I can go and see if I can do it without blowing out my voice. Mm. I could, yeah. but I did it anyway because <laughs> it was so, so much fun. And even in those moments of agony, I was just like, I still can't believe I get to do it's this so for fun. a living. Yeah, it's yeah. so wonderful and amazing. You know, it's just I'm working on a lot of shows now. I'm so grateful for. And what's now is we, we we're can getting, talk about zero of them. We can talk about we can talk about Shira. Talk about Shira and uh, yep. Tangled, of course, uh -huh. and uh, Dorothy in, and the Wizard of Oz and Star Wars Resistance. You're and also in Carmen Sandiego. Carmen Sandiego. I'm just I'm just Star doing Wars. my Matthew McConaughey. You know, yeah. Uh, and Star Wars. But just uh, my favorite thing is when I get to see it at home. If like they'll send me, it's like, well, we got some pickups and we've got some first animation. Let's just come back. <gasps> So I finally get yeah. to see this because I've been telling everybody what it is, yeah. you know, and now I get to see it too because, yeah, and mm -hmm. there it is up on the screen and it's just, oh, and to see actors' reaction the first time they get to see themselves is the same one as me. Like the first time I, I got to see Freya or 40 Men mm -hmm. or uh, or Coach Brunt or right. whatever. It's just, oh my gosh, and that's my voice coming out yeah, of it yeah, and everything yeah. else. And it's it's an amazing thing. It's a really special, unique experience because it's not like you can just go back to what's the area on set you can go back to the video village go to video village and okay let's play that back and see it Ooh, okay awesome we can listen to it mm -hmm. but we don't see how it actually works and then you get to see all the work that these animators do and they're creating so much of the character themselves through animation yeah and that's awesome yeah because in film or tv what you're watching back Mm -hmm. is very close to what's going to actually end up. It's going to be color corrected. It's going to be you yeah. know, cut together, obviously. But you're watching a capturing of that moment. Yeah. When you were in the booth, it can be a year sometimes yeah. before you even see that thing brought back to you in that context, right? Yeah. I would imagine motion captures like that, too. I always watch Benedict Cumberbatch doing smog, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and just crawling on the floor covered in... <laughs> a wetsuit with balls on it, you know, and little know. dots all over yeah, his face. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine the first time he must have seen that would be like, what? Stuff what? takes so long to animate too. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, to make it all work. Yeah. And it's becomes the focus on the actor isn't as much as it is the world and the people mm. that do it, the animators, the writers, mm. everything, the village that it takes uh, to put together something in animation is, is amazing. And it's the same huge world and everything else in, in, uh, on camera as well, but you realize being now on the side of the glass that I am as a director that, you know, if you go uh, 
to the the floor at Tangled and, and you get to see them building props, you know, through their painting and building. And there's so many different people that actually have a hand in this, yeah. in creating a character, you know, yeah. something that, and it's it's kind of an amazing thing. And it also takes the, the ego out of, well, it's my role. And it's like, it is your role. And you voice this, but this is also birthed from so many different writers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. animators and designers and musicians and everything else. Huge everything. collaboration of yeah. imagination Huge to make that thing happen. Imagination, yeah. Which is so satisfying. Yeah. Because you play a big role in that too. Yeah. 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 It's my little, you know, and then I'm like, new dealer. You know, it's just like, I do that. <laughs> I go in there. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going to do all that. We're doing this episode today uh-huh. and I'm handing out the thing. Yep. Let's do it again. Let's do it. Would you like a card? Would you like a card? You mm-hmm. like a card? We finished. We wrap this episode. And then new dealer, and we pass it on mm. to the next phase of, of, the of the process. Yeah, yeah. When you finish a project, do you think about that project for a while, or because you stay very busy, so you kind of can't really have one side of your mind and that other thing. You have to just let it go and move on to the next thing, right? Yeah. It's in the hands of someone else. So yeah. then it becomes its own thing. You've put your stamp on it, you've done your job, mm-hmm. and then you have to focus on the next thing, right? Well, it does come back. Well, in, in terms of animation, we'll, yeah, we'll get it back done. to do ADR. Yeah. Like, it's just like, we'll come back and we'll take a look at it. And uh, like, oh, can we pick up the actors here? Mm-hmm. Can we just pick up this line too? Because mm-hmm. I would love to just tweak the performance a little tiny bit. So we always get to sort of revisit it again. But when an actual show is over, you know, I mean, it's like when Pen Zero was the first original animation that I ever directed. I loved oh my God. that show. Thomas Thomas Meldick, Tanya. Yeah, everybody. I, it was Alfred Molina, Larry Wilmore. Yeah. I mean, Adam. Oh, my God. I forgot everybody. It was everybody. such yeah. a cast. Right. It was so, and all of them improvisational geniuses. Yeah. Like, all of them. It was so much fun to work on. And Sam Levine was great at saying, okay, Thomas, go on, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you want to do, do let's thing. do your thing. And they would adjust the script and the animation and everything to what he did. And it's... it's uh, How much improv is there in that? Because obviously when you don't have to match uh, lip flaps or anything yeah. for anime, you have a lot of room to grow. You're somebody who's so quick and loves when someone else can mm-hmm. create a moment like that. And yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're not very like, no, no, no. It says this. Mm-hmm. Let's stick to this. Because your your heart, your mind is open to the possibilities of the day when you get there. Yeah. But how much is, is there in that in like original animation? Sometimes it's not much. Depends uh, on the actor. It really depends guess? on the yeah, actor. Yeah. Some actors are so easy with it. I mean, Zach on Tangled is just, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he'll come up with stuff and put buttons on and everything else in it. And it's the, the writer. Zachary and Levi. Yeah. You, start, you start to, I think the writers started to, to shift their uh, idea of Eugene to, to fit what Zach was giving, you Whoa. know. And Thomas definitely came up with some unbelievable uh, improv. But sometimes... Uh, uh, in terms of the original stuff, I'll, I always try and spit. And when we're in a cast record as well, I'll just say, well, give us, always give us the as written, because I always want to mm-hmm, respect mm-hmm. The, uh, the writers and what they're doing and everything. And then give make it your own. Color, baby. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, make it your own. And yeah. sometimes it'll fly and sometimes it won't. Mm-hmm. And usually those are sort of my favorite moments that <laughs> sometimes just don't make it in the show. And you're like, dang. Yeah. But we still have it, you know, and I'll still listen to the sound file every now and then. It's just like, play that things that James did. That was so funny. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it's 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 in there and sometimes it's not. 
I ran into Zachary Levi at a hotel in New York, and I'd been, I'd known him, you know, a little bit for a few years. And uh, I said, oh, I heard you've been working with one of my best friends, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. And he put his hand on my chest and he's like, how dare you, sir? That is one of my best friends. I, I have known her longer than you. And then we started to compare yeah. stories and I became very competitive. Mm -hmm. Ashley's just sitting on her phone, like yeah. let these two have a cockfight while I, Yeah. but it was so funny. Cause I, when I talk to people about you, it's like, Mary and Andrea Romano are, oh. and, and, but I know you are, you're uncomfortable with that comparison, but many of the actors that have worked with you are not. Wow. And what's funny to me too, that I talk, when I talk to people all the time, and this isn't any disrespect to any of the other actors, but I love that you two are the ones that come up for people all the time and you're both women. Yeah. And you've you know both been doing this a long time before yeah. people had to start going, well, I guess we should include some women in this uh, thing, the thing because the internet. The great secret of animation is that I think the world of animation hires more women to direct than any other aspect of this, any other part of this industry. Why? Female directors for animation. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Probably the patience. Maybe the patience. <laughs> patience, <laughs> communication. Thick uh, skin. Thick skin. But yeah, it's... Uh, there are a lot of us. There yeah. are a lot of female directors mm -hmm. in animation specifically. And uh, I almost like, Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> you know, because they'll come in, what? What do you mean? Get them out of there. Who Put the men back in here. That's in here. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, and I don't know why, but it's just, yeah, Andrea is, is a goddess. Mm -hmm. She is something to aspire to always, always. And, but there's uh, so many people that think that about you. Well, I pay a lot of people off. I know you do. Yeah. I know you do. I have a specific <laughs> account for bribery. Specific account. It's my new, it's my way I incorporated was, you know, so I could actually write it off. Those aren't scripts you were, you had stacks of at your house. They were accounts. Accounts. I'm just printing out money to pay Come people over, off. Mary's like, smoking Barbara With reds. one of those old clear visors. Ching, ching, bang, 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 ching, ching. Yeah, that's well from Jersey, you know. It's yep. just we learned how to do that at a very young age. We have to talk about National Treasure Steve Bloom. Yeah, we do. So, did you guys meet on Cowboy Bebop? We did. We did. That was his first leading role and that was my first directing a series. Can I just say Hell of a first leading role and hell of a first series right? to direct for the I two mean, of you. I turned to you, Tucker. They showed me the opening of the tank sequence, and I was like, "Why are you giving this to me? Are you sure? Like, uh, mm -hmm. this looks amazing. Why?" And I turned to Kevin Seymour, and he goes, "It's because I don't have time, Mary. Or I would have taken it from you." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> so I didn't know what I was doing. I think Wendy Lee knew what she was doing. She mm. plays Faye. Um, yeah. But Melissa had never played a character, mm -hmm. Melissa Fawn, like uh, like Ed, where we just played. And it was one of the few times in anime where we did go off and we improvised a lot. Wow. Especially musically, because Ed had such freedom as a character, mm -hmm. uh, a true free spirit, yeah. <laughs> as it were. And with Steve, you know, he just had this freaking voice, you know? And he would always tell me, well, I'm not an actor, so, you know, you're really going to have to, you know, guide me through. And after a couple episodes, 
uh, I just said, you're going to have to stop saying that or I'm going to kick you in the balls because you are an actor. You proved it. Just because you didn't, you know, I I did seven years of higher education <laughs> figuring out what not to do. Yeah. Uh, and just because you come at it from an organic uh, standpoint and from the, the world of, of I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just relying on instinct. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a perfect, there's no reason why that is any less legitimate than someone who studied Shakespeare and drama, yeah. da, 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 da. you know, it's of just course. like, if you both get to the same place, it doesn't matter how you get there. As long mm-hmm. as you get to a place where you can deliver a performance like that mm-hmm. with that instrument that you have, woof. Yeah. And you put that voice with Spike Spiegel and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm done. I know. I'm done. Yeah. I used to hear him talk about starting late, getting yeah. getting, getting started in the business so yeah. late in his life or whatever. Yeah. Even though you guys are still so young, like he he always says, oh, I got started so late and whatever else. But if you're that good, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You guys, so you guys work together. We were with other other people. Yeah, you're in other relationships. But I just, and I was so in love with Spike. His voice is Spike. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to play Julia, the Spike's girlfriend that he kept talking about the whole time. Whether Mm -hmm. whether she comes out and talks like this or not, I don't care how she talks. I am playing her. (laughs) I want to play her. Uh, And then after that, you know, we would work on, a, I think I, I did Wolf's Rain after that. This mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful, same character designer as um, Cowboy Bebop, Toshihiro Kawamoto-san. Oh. And he did the character design. And Crispin Freeman and I re- went after and said, we need to do this show. Because mm-hmm. it was another short episode, a short series, like 26 episodes. Yeah. Beginning to end, tell a full story. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were talking, I was talking with Yutaka about casting, you know, and it's just like, he says, we're thinking of Steve. Yep. For this role, sure. Yeah. Yeah, this one. You, yeah. You, you didn't look yeah. at it, Mary. I Doesn't, know. No, it's fine. That one, that <laughs> role. That'd yeah. be great. Does that character have a, a romantic um, <laughs> at all? Yeah. She, yeah, I want to play her. Okay. I should, don't you think? I, I've got the right, I've got the, I've got the right voice for it, whatever it was. I can do it. I can do it. I can be, I can give you stars, you know. And again, you know, keeping my distance, but just uh, the voice. It's mm-hmm. just, and, and he's such a terrible human being. Who would want to be around him? No you kindness. Know? No kindness, no, no, generosity, no generosity of spirit, no humor. Um, a lot of gas, though. A lot of gas. Oh, my God. Oof. He is someone that can do anything. Can He sets his mind to something, and he does it. It yeah. doesn't matter if he doesn't know how to do it. He'll figure it out. Yeah. He'll learn it. and He radiates positivity. He does. That's exactly positivity. what I was going to get to, which explains why him and Logic became such good friends. Yeah. He was a fan of Cowboy Bebop. We all know how that whole thing happened. He was here the other day and has his spike tattoo now. And yeah. But it's so interesting to me because when you guys ended up finally getting together a few years ago and, mm-hmm. you know, you were in other relationships and then sort of re-found each other in that way, in a different way now. Yeah. Um, as someone close to you, it felt like two pieces coming together and just really completing each other. And not that either of you needed that, but you celebrate each other in a way that I really admire. And I think that you just accept stuff about each other Mm -hmm. as a given and go like, oh yeah. And then not only accept it, but love those things about each other. Yeah. 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 Because we're both quirky and Mm -hmm. and weird at times. And... um, and he's just the best person I've ever known. And he makes me, it's that whole uh, cliched line, which you know why cliches become cliches, because Those all of a sudden true. you meet someone that w- makes you want to be a better person. Mm. And you're like, oh, that's why that's a cliche, because mm. it's true. And he does. 
you know, because he's the most generous person of spirit and of mind uh, time. and heart and time yeah. than I've ever met. I mean, to watch him at conventions and to see the time he takes with people and the patience that he has and the love and the joy that he, it's, he's like, it's like watching a kid. He's an amazing human being and he's just, it's, you know, yesterday was uh, Valentine's Day. Oh, yes. Yes, the oh, made-up yes. holiday. But it, it's also <laughs> nice to sort of put a, a moment, not that, I mean, we tell each other we love each other every day, mm-hmm. multiple times, mm-hmm. every day, and how grateful. I've never had someone tell me how grateful they are mm. for me. Like, mm. I, I've never had that, you know? I mean, finding Steve was was someone who accepts all of me and doesn't try and make me be anything else than who I am and encourages me to be me, which is, you know, someone a little off-center and weird and no <laughs> bullshit and and uh, snarky and sarcastic and mm. weepy and, and stupid and silly. And and he loves all he of loves that. all of it. Yeah. The parts that about you that drive me nuts. I know. Steve loves. And yes. like... The parts in all of us that drive all of everybody nuts, nuts. he loves and celebrates that. And yes. it's not that he encourages bad behavior or anything like that. It's just that he doesn't get annoyed at things. He just finds he he's like he's like a kid. You looking for the, you know, scooting all the stuff to find the diamond. And then yeah. he's like, look at this, you're not gonna believe it, you yeah. know? And it's been so cool to see how you've changed from that. Yeah. But it's interesting, you go through life and then you you find somebody like that and it's a game changer. I know. And we were both the, the there for each that. other's you were. partners, you know, you were. and discovering each other's partner, yeah. you know, yeah. which is sort of an amazing thing to go through at different times for each of us, but to sort of see the evolution of mm-hmm. the hope and the dream and what could be and, oh my gosh, this mm-hmm. is going to be it. And then it all coming true, which is sort of astounding and a miracle in itself. It's a weird fairy people. tale. It is. Yeah. It is. It doesn't make any sense at all that that you can actually find someone that that loves that, mm. all of it, mm. still willing to call you on it and just mm. be like, don't, nah, I, you're not, you know, bye-bye. Yeah. Don't do that, bye-bye. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which is a good thing, too. For a lot of people, the litmus test so i don't know what that is but for a lot of people the litmus test of uh, you do sure i thought it was the uh acid you're supposed to have some that's what it is uh the listerine things Mm -hmm. uh it's you know if my family accepts you Mm. then we're good right Mm -hmm. for you was it the cats steve the cats had to render their judgment on steve before you knew i'm doing this because of your cats always doing this to people always (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah, if if somebody, oh, my, my boys, they are, because I never had kids, and uh-huh. my cats are my kids. So um, I was determined, well, if I find someone, that's great, but I do know I will have cats around me for the rest of my life. And I found these two crazy I giants. I have never in my life oh, this- seen or been around cats with more personality traits yep. than a human being. Mm-hmm. It's like... You gotta catch them in the right mood. Yeah. I mean, because cats can be like that anyway. But yeah. but but Ash and Bishop are two oh. different kinds of. Bishop is uh, almost thirty pounds of just love me, mm-hmm. just all the time. I don't care where. I just I will be by you, and they follow me around. It's yeah. you know. So if Steve didn't like cats, that would have been a, a huge oh my god thing oh for me. God. I mean that it really is a deal breaker. <laughs> it's a massive deal breaker. You went out of town 
a few years ago to Italy or something. Italy, yeah. And I right. housed some cats Two and a half for you. three weeks, yeah. And for years before that, oh, Mary gets up so early. Oh, God, Mary gets up so early. <laughs> she doesn't have to be at work until, oh, she gets up so early. Why is it? And, I, and then the first morning, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> the cats, they're just on my face and like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Wake one up, it's time to go to the work. lip. Yeah, you it's just the best like... alarm in the world. Just one little. Now I understand. Now we get up. Now we get up. Where did your love of space? Because you're, you're getting into photography now. Getting into photography. I got into photography after going to Hawaii Con, and we stayed at this hotel on the big island called uh, Hapuna, mm-hmm. the Hapuna Resort. Uh, and it's on the only white sand beach, or the biggest white sand beach in uh, on the Big Island. And they have a beautiful, it's on one end, end of the beach, and they shine a spotlight down on it. And the first night, Steve and I were there, and it was, I was like, God, it's really beautiful here. That's great. Oh, you can see some stars. I wonder what they look like if you, when you should get out of the spotlight. Mm. And I mean, you take a step out of the spotlight and boom, the Milky Way, like I have never seen it in right my life, was right there. And we walked for a bit, laid down on the sand and looked up. And for the first time in my life, I understood that we are on a planet hurtling through space. It's the first time, the most visceral sense of that I've ever gotten in my life. Mm. And we met this amazing photographer named Warren Fintz. And I said, I've got this camera. And we're there with Aaron Douglas, uh, who played the chief in uh, Battlestar Galactica. And uh, I had this camera and Aaron had a camera. I said, I've got a camera. I have no idea how it works. Uh, And Aaron's like, I have the same camera. Let's go talk to my friend Warren, because he came back with this beautiful uh, lava Mm -hmm. shot. Uh, and I said, where did you get that? And I said, oh, it's this guy named Warren. He's over in the dealer's room. We got to go. Let's go check him out. Maybe he can help us. So fast, instant friends, Ohana with uh, Warren, who is yeah. now our Ohana. And he said, well, let's let's do it. And I said, you know, we were out on the beach last night. And I saw the Milky Way. And he said, well, I can't make it down there tonight, but open up your lens Set your shutter speed. Can you do that? I said, like, yeah, I, I think I can set it. I don't know. How do I do that? He yeah, goes, press this button, the set the shutter speed yeah. for like 20 seconds at an ISO of 1200 and start there. And I took a picture. I call it the Little Prince because it's mm. the Milky Way coming right down onto this tree that is attached. And you get the light from Kona in the distance. Or maybe it could be Mauna Loa. Yeah. So, and that was it. And I was just like... I'm I'm hooked. hooked yeah. I am absolutely 100% hooked. And you have a um, Griffith Griffith Observatory uh, grade <laughs> telescope <laughs> in your backyard that well, some nights some nights. Yeah, it used to be that I just put an thing. iPhone up mm-hmm. to it to take pictures of the moon. Yeah, uh, because I'm obsessed after playing Zara, and I always mm-hmm. was obsessed with the moon, which is why I wanted Zara to have a huge connection yes. to the moon. And now the character I'm playing uh, on our home our game, game yeah. is moon centered mm-hmm. because she's a lycanthrope. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I've always been obsessed with the moon and obsessed with the stars. I just never knew how to shoot them. And since then, I bring my rig with me wherever I Always, go. And yeah. I, you know, I got Roger Craig Smith to go down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole. And mm-hmm. if you introduce anything to Roger, he'll say, 
I got it. He'll take yeah. the baton and like, yeah. and it's he's just like, I'll, I'll catch up with you someday. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> yeah, because now yeah. he's like, I don't know. It's the pillars of creation. What do you think? I'm not sure. I took it last night or whatever. I'm like, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is Orion. I don't know. Is it good? I'm like, yeah. Roger, please. <laughs> I know. Give me a break. Oh my God. Because he had all the telescopes, but mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I never knew you could do that with a, to the photograph the through the, the telescope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was it. And everywhere we go now, I am, I took it to Bermuda and, you know, and I, and um, put it, set up the rig on the beach and take pictures of, you know, Orion. And and also it, it, I used to, when I was uh, living in, in London for the year, I, I traveled a lot. And I remember that my aunt uh, passed away, my aunt Diana, and I, uh, everybody was going to go to Greece. And I decided once again to isolate. Mm-hmm. But I thought, where have I always wanted to go? And I always wanted to go to Egypt. So oh, I went wow. to Egypt by myself. By myself. Very intelligent. At you age did? 20. Uh, for about two and a half weeks. And I remember going down to Luxor and there's Karnak Temple yeah. in Luxor, which I'd only seen in the movies mm-hmm. in um, uh, 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 it's not Murder on the Origin Express, Death on the Nile, obviously. Yeah, Death on the Nile. Yeah. It's I mean, Egypt. Uh, and at one point, there's a whole sequence where they're, everybody's sort of hiding in, behind these giant pillars. Mm-hmm. And that's Karnak Temple. And I thought, I want to see that. I want to see that. And I remember getting there, and it was a night light and sound show, and then they'll take you back. And there's this beautiful pool with an uh, uh, an obelisk. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that looked just like the Washington uh, Memorial, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it's just, this is Cleopatra's. I was like, oh, really? And I remember looking up from that and feeling alone, a little scared, overwhelmed at how beautiful it was, but definitely feeling like, ooh, palpable history and I'm alone here. Oh, and I wow. looked up and there was Orion. And I was like, I'm fine. Everything will be fine. So everywhere my whole life, I always look up for Orion, you know, and it's just like, if I see Orion, I'm like, I'm fine. Everything's wow. fine. And I don't know why. I don't know why that constellation. Same with Cassiopeia. Um, I had the amazing opportunity of getting to work up at a music camp called Interlochen. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Which is just one of the most glorious, magical places. And I was there uh, as a camper for a number of years studying bassoon and singing. And and I loved it. And I uh, went back and I was a CIT before I became a counselor and then one summer as a teacher. But I was a CIT. You know, they bring you out and I'm just like, all right, we're going to teach you the constellations. You know, and it was a summer. So there was Cassiopeia. Mm-hmm. So I always like summer is Cassiopeia and winter is Orion. And now to be able to capture that even a little bit in a camera as a total amateur uh, just consistently blows me away. Mm. And now when I don't see the Milky Way for too long, my soul aches. Like yeah. I miss that because yeah. it's it just puts things in perspective. It's such a reminder. Yeah, oh my that's gosh, we get so wrapped up in the minutia of now and the world and the mm-hmm. tweets and Trump mm-hmm. and everything else. And it's just like we're a blip. We yeah. are a blink. We are a, a, a speck of dust that is here for seconds and mm-hmm. suddenly you're not there yeah. anymore. You know, so it, it's a, it really helps you put things into perspective yeah. of in the grand scheme of what we know of, which is that mm-hmm. Nothing. much right. the it's three so th- billion miles of what is actually to know about space. Yeah. It's just like, just don't get wrapped up in all of that yeah. shit. Just mm-hmm. be in the now and, and, Take the time to go and look up because it'll center you. It'll bring you back down to a a planet that is hurtling through space Mm -hmm. that you happen to be on Mm -hmm. at the moment. Yep. You know? Yeah. 
few years ago, Matt Mercer came to you ah. and said what? Ah, you want to come on Critical Role? Well, I was, I was when when they started pre pre the show, pre the show, pre yeah. The show. I had just broken up with Darren and Laura. I was like, do you want to come play D and D? And I was just, no, I need to isolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I said no, and Laura asked a couple more times. You know, we're putting. Why don't we? Uh, Voice actors, said, playing yeah, D&D. it should be fun. You know, it's a lot of work though. I got to write a bio, and I'm like, I'm I'm dealing with too much shit of dealing and just breaking up. And and you didn't no. really know anything about. I didn't D&D know a thing about D and D. I had yeah. no idea what it was. It just it sounded like work to me. Like I don't have time to write a bio. Of course, I had yeah. time to write a bio. It's so <laughs> yeah. stupid. But you had no and frame of reference. I had no frame of reference. Yeah. And then I saw it and I was like, oh my God, it's improv with dice. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? I love dice. <laughs> I love improv. I'm an idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. You know? And then years, and I've watched every episode and I was so into it. It was really great. And I never... I hope I didn't. I don't think I ever pressed like, can I be on the show? I probably did, but I, I hope that I didn't. But Matt called up and mm-hmm. said, we're going to bring on some guests. And uh, do you want to come on uh, as a guest? And I said, yes, uh-huh. no, yes. And once again, <laughs> yeah. the monkey is like, you're going to fail. Right, right. So I was like, this fucking this. cigar it's... smoking motherfucker sits on my shoulder and tells me all the things I shouldn't do is the impetus for me immediately saying, yeah. yes, I yeah. will absolutely do this. And I remember saying, okay, what do they have? They've got they got the cleric, they've mm-hmm. got the ranger, mm-hmm. they've got the da, 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 da. got a druid, a uh, barbarian. What don't they have? Well, they don't have a warlock. All right. And I do want to cast magic because magic, mm-hmm, right? Fun. fun. So I, uh, not knowing anything about this world at all, and I said, I'll be a warlock. And I'm on Google going, what's the best race for a warlock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, tiefling. And I was like, well, what does a tiefling look like? Oh. And I remember Melissa was playing uh, in World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. a tiefling, pretty much. And I was She saying, was big into the wow thing. Big into the wow yeah. thing. So I thought, well, that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I'll be a tiefling warlock what would her name be what would her name be something z and i just remember like being in the kitchen and just saying zara and i was instant i knew the character i knew the voice wow the minute i said zara wow i was like that's it done yeah and yeah and you're one of those people homework 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 you're one of those people that I think took to D and D like you had belonged there your whole life, Oof. and it just seemed to. We we've talked about this before of it sort of touching on a lot of bases mm. that are great for an actor or for a director or for a performer. All of that stuff it seems to seems to scratch all those itches. Yeah, and for someone that directs other people's words, mm. tells other people's stories, as an actor who says other people's words tells other people's stories for the first time to create a character that I created, mm-hmm. you know? And wasn't handed to you. It wasn't handed yeah. to me that I had to create it and I got to create it. I had the, you know, the the privilege of creating something. I mean, you know this as a yeah, as a writer yeah. and a poet yeah. to have to create something. Nothing you know, like it. Yeah. Nothing like it. Yeah. And I've never given birth. And that was like one of the first times besides, you know, my writing music every now and then yeah. of actually creating something that resonated so deeply mm. within me that I was so excited to play and to ev- watch her evolve 
And always, there was always a great one-liner that would come out. You know, I was mm-hmm. lucky to get, you know, yes, we fucking can. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. shall we have some fun and welcome to hentai. I mean, there were just some really, <laughs> welcome to hentai, some really amazing moments that, you know, and it just proves that you don't have to be in something forever for mm. it to have a lasting impression on your life. Regardless of other people's, I had no idea, you know, I mean, so to be a part of something that is now worldwide so huge. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I remember, I think it was that when I was coming on for the second time and Matt and I were meeting uh, in Jinkies (laughs) to level her up because it had been a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was having lunch with Laura and, sorry, and Matt showed up and, uh, and I said, Matt, you are an unbelievable actor. But I have to say, this, I really believe this, and I hope it doesn't offend you. This is what you will be remembered This is your calling. This is your calling, my friend. Storytelling and creating Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. all over. And Laura's like, well, I am blowing smoke up his ass. (laughs) And I was like, no, yes, but no. Typical Laura. I know. But it was just like, this is... Mm-hmm. And the, it has had a global effect. Mm-hmm. It has absolutely mm-hmm. had a global effect. Yeah. Shows that I uh, am either voicing in, it's just like, you know, like, here's a D&D episode. Of course, you know, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it has, it, it, it is uh, branched out into every part of society. And to hear that people are just like, oh, I've been playing D&D my whole life, you know, and, and it's, it's amazing. So what, what it's done is that it's brought this verboten thing that mm-hmm. was, you know, when it first came out was seen as devil worship, right, right, Satan yeah. worship, witches, yeah. warlocks, brought it out into what it actually is, which is world building with your friends and communal problem solving, immediate problem solving, mm-hmm. which, and consequences to the choices that you make. Yes. And sometimes, sometimes immediate, sometimes in, longer term. Exactly. And yeah. you may not be aware of it. So it's amazing lessons to teach young people or to teach anybody at mm-hmm. any age. It's just like your actions have consequences. Yeah. You may not realize it, but they do. And you are a summation of your actions, not of your words, mm-hmm. of your actions and how those actions resonate in the world that you are building every single day yes. just by being in it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And then to do other roles like I love Illyria this this character mm-hmm. I'm doing now who has no charisma complete opposite of Zara uh, to the no, voice to the voice well um, Illyria Blue has no charisma whatsoever so you laugh at me with your face holes and I don't understand why and <laughs> you know and I talk to my warg Luke Yes, mm-hmm. mama. You know, and it's just, it's so much fun and uh, totally unexpected. I never expected that to happen. So it's its its a great lesson. D&D for me is a great lesson in letting go of expectation, uh, going completely out of your comfort zone, mm. having to say yes to the exercise, which is a great lesson in life. Sometimes you want to do something and you can't do it. Yeah. So what do you do? What do you do then? Do you stomp off and, you know, no, you have to yeah. immediately problem solve and figure out a way to get the result that you want or be exposed to a result or presented with a result that you did not expect mm-hmm. that you then have to the adapt to. Like adapt to, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and amazing. And work as a team. and Work yeah. as a team or not mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. And you meet people from all over the world and someone's like, I now am brave enough to play. You've inspired me to play a, a warlock or you've inspired me to play a tiefling or you've just inspired me to, to uh, 
get out there and play with people that I don't know. It's something 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 totally completely different. Yeah. totally different. Yeah. And Matt and all of you guys have done that, and mm. it's it's amazing. It's amazing the world that has been created because it's positive. Creation is a positive thing yes. for the most part. You know, yes. it's giving birth to something that can help people process their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what D&D &D is. And that's what, you know, the world that, you know, yeah. Taldore or, or whatever yeah. you guys have, have created is, or that Matt and the gang have yeah. created is, it's, it's amazing. And it's changed my life. Mm -hmm. uh, it's made, allowed me to take risks and, uh, and be happy about, and just like, I gotta say yes to the freaking die, you a know? Happy surprise. Happy surprise. Happy surprise. I'd let me roll a 20 or better yet, let me roll a one mm -hmm. because I'll learn more from rolling the one. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I will from I rolling know. the 20. It's so true. You know? So true. Do you think aliens exist? Mm -hmm. You do? Mm -hmm. I yeah. don't know, but I hope. Oh, I absolutely Because if they come kill us, who cares? We're all going to kill oh, each other someday anyway, you know, with bombs or something. So might as well yeah. be someone else that's coming for our water. Yeah. Yeah, or to use us as batteries. or. Um, yeah, I mean, I do wonder sometimes. I, I say this so often. I was like, oh, man, the Vulcans are never going to land because it has to get to a point, right, where they have reason to. Otherwise, we are such a primitive, uh -huh. fucked up race in, and with so much light and so much dark, but we're so primitive. Yeah. Like, we are bebes, yeah. babies. Yeah, we're very new to this. Very thing. new to this. And if if— like the, the technology of our species, uh, of what we can create technologically is so far beyond what we can actually understand. Mm -hmm. yeah, like we take yeah. it all for granted. I have no idea how that camera works. Not a clue, yeah. but I can get up there and run it, you know, yeah, and we take phone, all of this for granted. You know, yeah. They're making sex robots, you know, that's mm -hmm. just like they said, I said in an article, sex robots can be hacked to kill you. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is, the Vulcans will never land. What that happened to Uncle Terry? Well, yeah. he finally got enough money to get one of them sex <laughs> robots. He named it Florence, and then Florence ended up killing him. He died. How'd he die? Florence is the machine. Florence is the machine <laughs> that killed him, uh, was hacked into by Phil in Wyoming. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, no, but don't. what's the great line from Contact? You know, it's like, if not, it's sure would be an awful waste of space mm. if it's just us, mm. right? So... Um, yeah, I, we, again, we're just getting nice, clear pictures of Pluto, you know, so we, we know haven't even, we haven't stepped on another planet yet. Mm -hmm. We have yet to do that, you know. The moon is not, it's a planetoid or whatever it is, but it's not technically like Mars is, will be our first yeah. planet in the solar system that we, as another race, we can't even get out the front door, yeah. right? So there's, yeah. there's so much we don't know. There's so much we don't know. And I think for us to, to have the arrogance to think that it's it's just us. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we can do with the earth whatever we choose mm -hmm. because it was made the, for us to use. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 yeah. no. Again, blip. Mm -hmm. We are a blip in uh, a little you know needle jump on a record. Grain of sand on the ocean. Grain of sand, yeah. yeah so I wonder um, if you had enough money. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why I assume you don't is because I ask you for money constantly. You say no. If you had enough money for one of those, I can only print up so much in my basement <laughs> at a time. <laughs> if you had enough money for one of those, those remember they're talking a few years ago those two people things where it's like you could go to Mars, mm -hmm. but you may never come back. You may never come back. Would you and Steve do that, or would you miss me too much? I would miss you too. Steve would miss you too much. Okay, I would miss Ashley too much. 
Yeah, um, that's fair. That's fair. That's and Henry. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't. Here's the thing. There, there's a reason I would miss the color green. Green is like my favorite. Green and blue. Yes. I miss. I would yes. miss green and blue mm. so much. There's none of that there. None yeah. of that there. But I would love to Jodie Foster it through a wormhole for sure. Mm. I would love to be someday. Uh, I don't know where we go. I don't know what happens, but. All I hope is that my energy is shot into space and I get to see it all yeah. before I disperse and become a part of it. You yes. know, I mean, I just, I want to see it. And I, I so badly and 100%, if if Richard Branson gets that stuff going, I'm oh, going yeah. into space. You should do it. 100, yeah. absolutely 100%. You have to. It's so expensive, you know, and we're yeah. trying to live yeah. our lives, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and not, I don't have that kind of FU money to be able to do anything like that. But if I did, 100%, because it, it's changed. There's the documentary that shows what happens to uh, the guys who are up and the women mm -hmm. who are up on the ISS and how it changes your body, your whole like your body, whole but thing. not only your body, your perception of mm -hmm. everything to see the planet from space, mm. to see the curve of it, to see how fragile it is, yeah. to see how beautiful it is, and that there are no walls and borders. The only thing is that there's land and there's oceans, and that's really the mm. only thing that's separating any of it is a shit ton of water, yeah. you know? But it's just like all of that crap, again, the minutia that we deal with on a daily basis, seems to fade away, mm. and you realize that you're just this little tiny thing floating yep. through space. And I would... I would love to see that someday. I know, me too. Desperately, desperately. Can, That's why we got to set up my VR thing so I can float through space so when I get least, home. Yeah. She's like, bye-bye. Don't talk to me. I'm I going to, into I'm the zone. I'm going to Saturn. <laughs> yes. Call me when I get home, uh -huh, you know, from uh -huh. Pluto. I'll yep. be back. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you don't think there are aliens? I do. I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know, but I want there to be. Yeah, I want there to be too. I want there to be. Yeah, I feel the same way about religion. It's just like, I have <laughs> yeah, no yeah, idea. Yeah. But I want there to be, but you that know. would be great. It would be great, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It would be nice. But I again, I just think it'd be an awful mm -hmm. waste of space. I know. it's too. There's too much out there for yeah. a, us to be it. I'm yeah. too disappointed in myself. For <laughs> <laughs> and so are the rest of us, Brian. Always. Always so disappointed. I know. Mary, I love you. I love you Thank too. Thank you so Brian. much for doing this. Mm -hmm. um, before we go, mm -hmm. um, give me a little bit of Les Mis, the movie that just came out, Russell Crowe singing. <laughs> give me Russell Crowe in the 2015 or 14. <laughs> you know nothing, Javert! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I the movie came out. Terrible. It was like in theaters for two weeks. I hadn't got a chance to see it yet, but I was over at your house. I said, "How is it?" And you go, "It's, <laughs> it's really some great moments." Now you know yes. I'm a theater snob and I'm lame. <laughs> but Russell Crowe, I just couldn't get past. It. I said, "What do you mean?" And you did that impression. <laughs> I went to the movie it. with my family, and I was crying in the movie theater because. <laughs> oh. And I love Russell Crowe. Sorry, Russell. I love you. We I love you, Russell Crowe. We love you, we Russell. Love you. In fact, imitation mm. is the highest nice form of, <laughs> of assholery. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. That was so funny. That was terrible. I love you. Thank I you for doing this. I love you so this. much, Brian. Thank you. Oh, Brian. This was amazing. This is so good. Thanks, honey. Thank you. Thank you.
first martini was probably made during the gold rush era in Martinez, California, and consumed by some dude that actually wanted champagne. Instead, the bartender made him something called the Martinez Special, which was probably whatever they had on hand that day. Others believe the martini originated in San Francisco, while some suggest the Knickerbocker Hotel in New York. Listen, maybe the martini is just so perfect it came gliding through preternatural wavelengths to all late 19th century Americans, each of them reaching to the stars to find meaning and instead finding martinis, the only truly perfect American invention. I'm looking at you, American democracy. The Hydrus is an original cocktail we created in the heritage of martini variations such as the Martinez, Turf Cocktail, Vesper, and Tuxedo Number no. 2. We're going to stir and strain this drink, so we'll be making it in our mixing glass. You can also serve this drink in a coupe or a Nicanora glass. Today, we'll use a coupe. Here's what you need for this drink. Vodka, London Dry Gin, Dry Vermouth, Maraschino Liqueur, and some salt water or homemade saline. Not the stuff for your contacts. First, we'll add two dashes of our saline or salt water. Then, a bar spoon of maraschino liqueur. Half an ounce of dry vermouth. An ounce and a half of vodka. And one ounce of London dry gin. Next, you're gonna fill your mixing glass with ice and stir. Then we're gonna strain into our chilled coupe. Prepare a luxurious lemon twist. Express and garnish with the peel. And there you have it, a hydrous martini. Tastes like frozen trees and cool wind. Elegant lemon blossom aromas with a soft, clean finish. My thanks to you, as always, for listening. You can watch the show live on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash critical role. And they're also uploaded to YouTube on Wednesdays at youtube.com slash critical role. If you want to support our show, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review if you'd like. Until next time, don't forget to love each other. <laughs>